This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast making nutritive paste out of the sludge of entertainment. Today we're talking about the Star Trek franchise, including and especially the recent CBS 10-part series Picard. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, chucking random items from the replicator into the neutral zone. I'm Erica Spires, happy to join you tonight and drinking red wine. Cold. Which it's not supposed to be, but unfortunately it is right now. And I'm Brian Hurt, and I am wearing 15 pieces of science fiction convention flair for today's show. I'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Who's joining us today? This is uh, Drew Jackson. First time, long time. And I am, among other things, Erica Spire's husband. And I'm a huge Trekkie. Well, at least you got them in some order, those two things. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start talking about Star Trek, you know, everything's been canceled because of oh, no reason. And among everything canceled are all the science fiction conventions. And there's a con going on online right now called Consolation. That's their... Little, it was the oh, con man. that was canceled before it began. And so I actually went ahead and bought my badge on Etsy. <gasps> this is my non-attendee badge. Uh, there are all sorts of things to pick from, but I, I went with the classic. Consolation. That's hilarious. It's been going for weeks. It's also a consolation. Indeed. Yeah, it is. It's sad. But in any case, this is all the junk I wear to all the cons, and I'll put a picture for people to see. It's pretty awesome. Are there actual events to attend or is this purely a joke uh, that you would get? There have been different discussions. There are 30,000 people in the group and early on someone would post something and you couldn't even keep track of it. There were comments flying so fast. There have been subgroups. There's been vendors who normally would be at cons selling stuff who are you could go to their pages and buy stuff instead of a con suite where you would normally get food. People have been posting there are science fiction recipes and there've been contests and writing prompts and other things. There've been ask me anything with real con celebrities, you know, authors and what have you. And it doesn't replace going to a con, but it's, I've already missed one. So it's been nice. And was the first comment posted? I hope. Con! How can you hear that word multiple times without immediately thinking that? <laughs> I think as soon as someone posts that it's over. <laughs> no it's like this website will self-destruct it's just that's the one that's going to be the thing that ends it <laughs> drew do you want to start with why are you here for this episode as opposed to the many other things we could have chosen what is your background in this as long as i can remember i've been a big star trek fan i grew up watching the next generation of course it was a big night in my family's household we would like all get around the tv and we'd tape some of the episodes and I've been a huge Trekkie ever since. I even dragged Erica at one point to the 25th anniversary reunion at a con of the TNG cast. So we got to meet some of the members of the cast and take part in a Q&A for that. So yeah, I've, I've been a massive fan my whole life. Well, yeah. And he was one of those people who, when there was any hint that like CBS was doing their own streaming service, he's like, well, we're getting it. And we had friends who were, who were like, oh, we'll just give you our password. And number one, we don't like to do that anyway. But number two, he was like, are you kidding me? Of course, I will pay for every yes. episode of Star Trek that I can because I want them to keep making them. Happy to give anyone money if they're willing to make more Star Trek. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're creating multiple Amazon accounts so you can purchase the same episodes again and again? Whatever it takes. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Wait, that's uh, Avengers. Avengers reference, yeah. <laughs> when is regular TV going to have a donate button in the corner? Like, I know you're already paying in some way to watch this, but if you want to give more, this is more likely to yeah. happen. Don't give them ideas, Mark. 
<laughs> or demand your money back. There should be an anti-donate button to say, <laughs> I'm fine paying for the streaming service, but not for this thing in particular. Well, since we're talking about our family relationships around Star Trek, I'll mention that early on when I was dating the woman who's now my wife, she was not into Star Trek, but we were actually in New York, in your fair town at the Museum of TV and Radio, and they were showing that two-parter from TNG reunification the one that Spock is in and the big screen. And I had never seen an episode of next gen projected like that. So it was kind of a wow for me, even though I had seen that one before and that cemented it for her. That's how I knew she was a keeper. Oh, and I'm going to tell Mark's story for him because I've been in touch with his wife by email about something else. And she wrote at the end of one of her notes recently. And by the way, I won't be sad when the star Trek binge period has passed. So apparently Mark has been preparing for this, podcast for the last several weeks, whereas I've been preparing my whole life. Yeah, I think I always took Star Trek for granted. It was something that, you know, along with old Doctor Who and many random other things was just on every once in a while as a kid. You know, I was certainly much less religious about Star Trek than I was about freaking Gilligan's Island or <laughs> I Dream of Genie. Like it wasn't on daily. You know, I don't know if I've seen all the old episodes. I was able to rewatch about half of them for this one and had not given them a second thought really other than trying to watch them briefly with my son when the remastered versions came out. The first couple episodes in particular are especially slow, I think. It did not take at that point, but I watched uh, Next Generation as it was on. Didn't really get the point. Maybe saw one Deep Space Nine episode. Didn't understand why you'd want to watch Ferengis that much. That seemed a horrible idea. (laughs) Or why you'd set a Star Trek show at a bus stop. (laughs) Yeah. I think I watched a season or two of the Voyager, but didn't stick with that. Have kept up more with the current shows with Discovery and things. Watched Enterprise a lot as it was on, but it was never like the center of anything. And also even, you know, the film franchise, that was a big deal. Like Star Trek two, when Brian and I at least were of that age. Yeah, we were 11. So that was like prime Superman one and the first couple Star Wars films, like it was right you know, in a sort of canon with that, you know, however it might actually stack up. But it was obviously diminishing returns as that series went on. Some mild interest in the rebooted, more recent films. I never would have called myself a Trekkie in any sense. And rediscovering the joys of all that and kind of, it did capture my anal retentive, wanting to know how all the pieces fit together this time around in a way that it never did, you know, over the many years. So, Drew, Mark totally glossed over the animated series. Can we now vote him off the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Seconded. Did you watch that religiously as a kid? No, I've seen them all. I don't know if I watched them as a kid, but seen them all. I might have watched like one of them as a kid. And again, it was just not something that was on every day or something, but I... It seemed to have no interest to me whatsoever. (laughs) I did revisit it this time and still found them pretty damn painful. Drew is (laughs) definitely one of those people who, as we dated, I don't even remember the first discussion we ever had about Star Trek or Star Trek versus Star Wars. You guys know me well enough to know I'm not like a huge fan of any one thing, but my family was definitely more of a Star Wars family than a Star Trek family. And he has always been preaching the gospel of Star Trek to me since like day one. It's kind of the chip on every Star Trek fan's shoulder though, right? Like Star Wars is the more popular franchise, right? They're the jocks. The jocks of the nerd community. And it's not to say that I dislike Star Wars, but I prefer Star Trek. It was funny recently, we went to go see The Rise of Skywalker and 
went with a friend who's a huge Star Wars fan in the way that I'm a huge Trek fan. And he was so disappointed with the movie. I, I wasn't disappointed because, in my opinion, none of the Star Wars movies are really that great <laughs> in, in terms of like films. They're enjoyable. They're popcorn movies, but like they're not that complex. They're just meant to be taken at face value, I think. But he was so crestfallen over it. And I said, you know, I can't relate with you on this, but anytime you want to talk about how bad Star Trek Nemesis was, then I can tell you. Like, I think that's probably where I'm at, where it was like, oh, I can't believe this is the way we're saying goodbye to the TNG cast. And this film is just not good. You're a big enough fan to have that much disappointment in your heart over something that isn't what you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the Trek movies are absolutely fantastic, but there are a lot that are subpar, you know, even as a fan. Can I ask you what you think the pinnacle is among the movies? This is kind of identifying yourself. You're, I hate to make you plant your flag like that, but I don't hate to that much. Oh, he loves no, planting no, flags. I, I can't. I, I'm lukewarm about nothing. I, I have tons of opinions <laughs> on anything. Favorite original series cast is uh, Undiscovered Country. That's what, that's the one with the whales. No, that's not. No, that's one of the it's notoriously the bad ones. Is the Undiscovered <laughs> yes. Country? It's the one with Klingon. Yeah. The way that he looked at it's me made me think Klingon. it was the one with the whales. Sorry, yeah. Shakespeare, yeah, Shakespeare Klingon Shakespeare is the one in the original Klingon. Yes, it, it's my answer for any of the original series movies. And, yeah, and the one with the, the TNG, whales. I'd have to say First Contact. What a great movie! Yeah, the Borg are such a a great nemesis for the TNG cast. A funny thing about the Ferengi, which Mark brought up a little earlier, it's really funny to think about the way they're portrayed in TNG versus Deep Space Nine. In Deep Space Nine, they're very much the comic relief. Uh, but when they first appeared in TNG, they were supposed to be kind of the big bad for the next generation cast, but they were so cartoony in their presentation that they kind of quickly got scuttled and like the Borg come along in seasons after. I remember that. And the Borg were introduced just as a throwaway on a Q episode saying, here's this. You don't even know what's out here. And there were the Borg and they just stumbled upon the greatest bad guys. Whereas I think maybe too many writers were working on the Ferengi and they managed to just cook up something stupid. Right. Going back and watching that first episode where they kind of trick the Enterprise to coming and trying to save a ship, but they're actually trying to scuttle the Enterprise and sell it off for parts, essentially. And you're just like, man, why did anyone think these characters would be intimidating to anyone? Like, they're just so inherently comedic, you know? The, the timing was also really bad. There was a program on contemporaneously, a comedy show called In Living Color. And oh, yeah. they had a goof on the coneheads called the buttheads, where they had two butt cheeks yeah. on the guy's forehead. And just... The Ferengi, it was just terrible timing. Just like, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is Picard the first one of these things that you really, sort of setting aside the movies, but as far as the TV shows, that you really need previous Trek knowledge to get all you can get out of it? I suppose we who are familiar with this, Erica, did you have the least memory of the other things such that, did you feel the need to like rewatch any of the, the Borg-related episodes or like who is Hugh, who is Seven of Nine, these kind of things? I think it was more helpful to have a, a background in, in that. Luckily, I've seen more TNG than any of them. So I didn't need to look it through and ask for too many questions, like ask too many questions about it. There were a couple times, though, I was actually surprised where, you know, they'd bring in a character or they'd talk about something and I'd be like, what is that? Who is that? And he'd be like, we don't know yet. And I'm like, well, the way they're talking makes it seem like it's somebody we've seen in a previous episode, right? So I think that was kind of interesting. They did introduce a lot of new stuff, but made it feel like it should be familiar. I don't know how great that is of a storytelling device when there's such a huge canon that goes along with something. When we first are introduced to Rafi, 
in Picard, Erica's like, where is she from? And I was right, because like, we know her from TV, right? She was in Law and Order for so long that I see her and I go, oh, I know you, but wait, where do you fit into this? Yeah, I thought I was like, no, I, I think this is just a new character. Like, obviously, she knows Picard, but I don't think this was I was like, this isn't a character that we've seen previously. And that's something that I thought was kind of interesting is they kind of split the baby. I thought that there was enough, you know, kind of cameos and callbacks to other characters and other actors from TNG being brought in to resume their roles. But then there was really a sense of Picard has had a, a series of missions even after TNG ended and after the movies ended. And these are the people who have known him in that capacity. So if you didn't know Trek previously, you might be a little out of your depth, but it wasn't too fan servicey that you couldn't enjoy it. Right. I think it's a much better way to err on the side of serving fans because people who are just sort of tuning in the way they told that story, they're not going to stick around either, right? Because they slow played the first four episodes in kind of an unusual way that might as well not explain some things, right? If you came into the show without having been exposed to Trek, I don't think they really adequately explained the relationship between the Romulans and the Vulcans. And that's been something that's been teased out over decades. You'd still kind of shrug at the end of this, like, no, are they the same thing? Are they... Right. Related. They have the ears, but they're not the same. And there's one who's half one and half the other. That was confusing to me, too. I was like, how do we know the difference? Maybe that was part of it is that we're not supposed to really know because we are always trying to figure out in our own world who's what race. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Let's get to know the human. Maybe there is that element of Star Trek trying to teach us that. So I think this might be Star Trek kind of taking its cue from other franchises and trying to do world building in a more intentional way. Or maybe this is just a natural thing when you have three or four series that are building up. It seemed like they sort of abandoned that in doing all this prequel stuff. We're certainly not world building in the same way. Or maybe, or what do you think of this, of that move of putting aside the rebooting, the alternate timeline, which we should deal with later. You know, this Picard is being picked out as like, oh, here finally is something that after, what, 20 years of not doing this is moving the timeline forward. We're actually seeing something. Actually, I don't even remember now at this point. Like, are the Borg still out there somewhere? Right. Like the end of Voyager, like Janeway takes out most of the Borg in that sector, but it's not clear that like all the Borg are gone. But you're right. Like since Voyager, really, the timeline is like Enterprise is a, a prequel Discovery is a prequel, like, and then there's the reboot in the films. Like, we stopped kind of moving the timeline forward after Voyager. I agree. Like, this was something refreshing where I was like, oh, great. Like, there's some fallout here from Nemesis from the jump. And so if you know that movie, you're like, oh, the Romulan Empire is still kind of a mess. But then there's also in the very first episode of Picard, they're mentioning this android attack on Mars that happened long after that. And the show ends up telling you that as well. But so for people who are already fans, you get the callback to the films and the timeline going forward. But then there's also this mystery of, oh, what, what is this Martian attack that the androids saw out and how did that play into everything? Yeah. And I loved that too. And I loved that, especially watching your reactions to some of these things, Drew, was like watching Discovery, he was very disappointed. He likes the show, but he hated that we were just going back into a timeline that we'd already kind of explored before. And he's like, I really want to see something new. So I think Picard did give a little bit more of that. And hopefully we'll get even more going forward. Yeah, there's always a a problem with any sort of prequel kind of installment, right? Because you, you're you aware of that there aren't as many stakes or can't be, right? Like, you know, when you're introduced to Pike 
in Discovery. You're like, oh, well, he has to live long enough to like meet to get Spock back on the ship and to have Kirk come on there. So you know that he's not going to die in this show. So that's no concern then in the Kelvin timelines, whether you like or don't like the new movies, you don't know what's going to happen. And we do have the ability to have characters do surprising things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like maybe disappointed is too strong of a word for discovery because I still enjoy it. I mean, I'm just happy that there's more Star Trek in the world. (laughs) But I'm like, I don't see I'm like, I don't see why the same cast and ship couldn't just be in, you know, a timeline after Voyager, just continuing that along. And they answer some of that about like the special warp drive that the ship has and why it's unique and why they eventually choose to like scuttle it, you know, and not have every Federation ship be able just to kind of warp from one place to another without using a standard warp drive. Isn't there something kind of exciting though about science fiction that is closely connected with our own era, right? That this was something that the original Star Trek avoided, right? By just saying, it's 300 years in the future. Lots of stuff has changed. There have been world wars. There's all this stuff. We're not going to tell you about it. In fact, we don't even know. The showmakers did not even know at the time. This has all been retconned in terms of what actual dates the original Star Trek series were taking place in. It's just 200 or 300, and they kind of refer to it randomly. But having that intro to the Enterprise show, where it's actually showing like real space footage of rockets taking off and how this is evolving into like just another 40 years and we'll be visited by the Vulcans or, you know, whatever the thing is. There's just something more relatable and exciting about that than 3,000 years in the future. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, there are so many things to love about the Enterprise series. Like you get to see an early Federation without the Prime Directive and without a universal translator, right? Like it's a little harder for them to interact with the new species that they discover or the new planets that they come across just because those things haven't been developed yet. No transporter. Yeah, true. It sounds like we have an even divide demographically that for you two, the next generation was the prime starter Trek series that you were trained up on. Is that right? Erica was saying that. Drew, do you also agree? Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite. I mean, I've watched all of the series and I would say I love all of them for what they are, but I would say TNG is probably my favorite. It's one that I will just go back to and just pick a random episode on Netflix and just watch it and I never get sick of it. A random episode or Measure of a Man. For some reason, he pulls up the bottle episode. Okay. (laughs) Whereas for Brian and I, it was the original (laughs) cast, specifically really the films as they were coming out, but then sort of retroactively going back, you know, so it was a big thing when the next generation actually came about. We were already in high school, something like that. I think I actually know Next Gen a little bit better than Mm -hmm. the original series. I just, I've watched it more and I enjoy watching it more now, even though I was very much into the original series as a little kid watching it in syndication. But I, I think next gen is probably the one I know the best. Is it been kind of established that next gen, because it was actually done with Gene Roddenberry's, not just approval, but like he was the creator that and had more control over it than he did with the original series, that this really is his sort of undistilled vision and that the original series and especially the move, the film, some of which he didn't really have much to do with at all. It was kind of taken out of his hands by the money machine. It's a fundamentally different thing. Star Trek season one, the original series. Yes, it's Roddenberry's blueprint, but it's a showcase for various science fiction writers. There's no attempt at world building. It's just like, there's always going to be another, there's millions of worlds out there. And we don't have to worry about like the history with the Borg or the history with the Romulans, other than maybe like, oh, a two episode arc (laughs) over three seasons or 
a three episode arc, but for the most part, it's self-contained. Even the technologies that they explore, like what thing does an Android have to be? It's surprising that some of these aliens that they run across that are like basically gods never recur other than they put a big sign that says, don't visit this planet on, you know, later for good or bad. And I've, if anyone cares about my opinion, they'll take offense at my claims about George Lucas being a hack. And some people agree with that. And and I think next gen may have revealed (laughs) that Gene Roddenberry was a bit of a hack as well. The first two seasons are not that good. And those were the ones where he had the most involvement. And he also his self insert, right? Wesley was, if not exactly a Mary Sue, definitely a self insert for Roddenberry. (laughs) And he managed to make himself the most irritating character. And he passed away and there it's Star Trek is bigger than Gene Roddenberry. And that's a good thing. Star Wars would have benefited from having a little less George Lucas, maybe as well, but not to go back down that road. I feel like some of the very best Star Trek has nothing to do with Gene Roddenberry other than his having given it to us. And we have it now. And others <laughs> have taken it in good places and others have taken it in bad places. And maybe the best is still to come. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? If it's just sort of ours for the playing with. Yeah. Do we have a duty to the canon? You know, when you hear about like what Quentin Tarantino wants to do, he liked the original Star Trek. He liked Shatner playing Captain Kirk and thinks that Chris Pine has the Shatner thing down. Like, so he likes the new cast, but as for it to being an alternate timeline, like he's like, screw this. So basically if there ends up being this Tarantino, this long rumored Tarantino Star Trek movie, he wants it to be with the new cast, but in the original timeline. Okay. Just an adventure that was set between Star Trek two and search or I'm not even sure where to fit it. Just some somewhere after the end of the original series. But before he becomes an, it would be after the original series. So that's weird. Or like, should the Orville, which seems to have some of the same creators besides Seth MacFarlane, but isn't it like Benjamin Braga? Like some of the people that were involved in the other series, I remember their names. Brandon Braga, who I think was the producer of some of the Star Trek stuff. So the Orville is just basically we're Star Trek fans. We want to tell Star Trek like stuff, but we don't want to be beholden. I assume that he didn't try to get a Star Trek license, right? That it's just, I don't want to be beholden to that tone and that pre-existing world. Are you guys familiar with that show or is that a sacrilege? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big believer as a creative type myself and kind of, you know, kill your darlings, right? Like we already have the Trek that I love. I feel like it's a bit short-sighted to say like, oh, you should only make Trek for the people who already love Star Trek. I wanted to have a life beyond just the way that I conceive of it and appreciate it. And that's something that I do like about the new movies, even though I don't think that all three of them are are great films. It's still enjoyable to see Star Trek out there, and it's more action-y than the other movies, which I'm not always the biggest fan of, but it seems like it has. it's kind of broadening the appeal there. So I, I'm a big fan of kind of letting them play in that world. So I, I like the idea that Tarantino wants to do something weird. I'm also just a big Tarantino fan myself. So I would love for him to do something, take a crack at it. And if it's not great, that's fine. There are plenty of Star Trek movies that already aren't great movies. So that wouldn't really break my heart. It's a good thing that Galaxy Quest exists also, in part because it's an enjoyable movie, but it also, (laughs) the fact that some people call it the best Star Trek movie, I don't think that's true, but it's freeing creatively the way that the Orville is. And it's a little introspective on the whole fan culture as well. And it acknowledges that fans are part of Star Trek. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It couldn't be what it is today without the response, 
right. I mean, it wouldn't have happened. So there's a whole ecosystem that's built around Star Trek that's bigger than any one property or any one show. I will watch anything. I won't watch an entire series if it's not working for me, but I've started them all and I've gotten through some of them and yeah, more options are great and I don't have to love everything. That's fine. I love that some people are totally digging Discovery. It hasn't been my bag, but if it means more Star Trek, I got through, I guess the first season was in two parts and I got through the first half of it and I just never came back to it. And living in this era of peak TV, it's just so easy to, oh gosh, you're not on this week. Well, I have these million things to watch and sorry, there was something that grabbed my attention more. I, I don't have time to watch everything. Unlike Mark. Yeah. So I was like, this episode did not get you to go back and revisit. I was looking for links between these things. So like I completely glossed over. I did, just didn't care the first time there's a discovery episode where they flash back at the beginning, like previously on Star Trek and they show something from the original pilot. Yes. Which this mm-hmm. footage that was then shown in an original Star Trek episode in a different form. Yeah, it was neat. That was really neat. Which is a weird, just that whole thing is weird in the first place. The fact that they did two pilots. The first one had a totally different cast, had this Christopher Pike as the captain. Spock was the only overlapping thing. Uh, instead of just pitching it in the rubbish bin, they then made it like as something that the original series cast is watching on TV on TV sent to them by aliens to get hidden backstory. And they, you know, set it in the same universe, but 15 years before. And it creates this whole thing that's being exploited right now, you know, in a good way by discovery. Like I hope they have, I had heard there was going to be a Pike TV show. Like if they made the original version of Star Trek with this new, excellent young Spock that they have happening 10 years before the original series and recreate some of those other characters from that pilot, that would be great. I was taking those trips back. That was my, you know, so I rewatched that one episode from Discovery in conjunction with that and was kind of looking for other places of connection. I think the thing that's odd to me about the current state of affairs with Star Trek is that you have two different people playing Spock. Because we still have the the film versions that are out there. And as far as we know, we are going to have one coming back that we're going to have like this fourth film in that series that you're having a completely different cast in the film versions than you are in what's going on with Discovery. I understand the need for that because I'm sure that like when they were pitching this Star Trek Discovery, they didn't really know how it was going to go, how long it was going to last, if they probably couldn't get a lot of the film actors. But now that it has been fairly successful and we have a couple of seasons of it, and I assume we're coming back for a third season of Discovery now, having some of those same characters then in a fourth film not played by the same people. It is a little odd because the original movies did use the same people from the TV show. So I do wonder how they're going to, if they're going to address that in any way in the future or not. Well, they had Zachary Quinto's Spock meet Leonard Nimoy Spock in the movies. We just acknowledge they obviously aren't the same actor, but Star Trek is pochkied with the timeline so much with time travel and if the Klingons can look as different as they look, certainly Spock can look a little different. <laughs> I'm not so much bothered by that because I, I think audiences, they understand you, you just say, oh, that's Spock over there. And then they accept, okay, yeah, that's Spock, even though it's not the same actor. There was something completely, you know, non-Star Trek related, but kind of fandom. There was the Crisis series that the CW shows, all of their DC properties did recently and pulled off which was really fascinating because like the flash show there has been pretty successful and they actually did like a big crossover across all the shows. 
and they actually brought in the actor who's playing Flash in the DCEU for like a quick cameo where he meets the Flash played by Grant Gustin. And I'm blanking on who the actor is from the movie. But that was kind of a nice Easter egg to be like, oh, like, even though these are different flashes, there's kind of assuming that it's actually like different universes that are being kind of brought together for the crisis on infinite earths. And just to round out this discussion, there was talk by James McAvoy offering to play young Picard, which I thought was so funny that we've come to accept him as young Professor Xavier. Yes. (laughs) Xavier. We just accept that McAvoy is a young Stuart. I will watch McAvoy in anything or out of anything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> that'd be so good. No, it, it would be great. And he is such a great actor. And I think that's one reason I actually really like TNG is because I just like watching Patrick Stewart. And that's why I liked Picard. I didn't like every episode of Picard, but I liked when Patrick Stewart was on, on screen. I think McAvoy is going to play a young Scrooge in the new Scrooge TV show, too. That's a total lie. <laughs> He's just mean the whole time. It's the extended ghost of we Christmas past. We see young Scrooge in the <laughs> Christmas past. Yes, exactly. We don't, we don't need more of that. I'm looking at the Klingon argument virus page. In other words, this, this change that they acknowledge in show where somebody asked Worf something about, didn't Klingons used to have smooth heads? Because they do in the original series. He's like, we don't like to talk about that. So apparently the fandom have actually tried to recon this in like, there was a virus that caused them at a certain point in history to gain the extra forehead bumps. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> I just assume they're different types of Klingons, right? Discovery did not run with that. Did not, did no. not reproduce. Are they supposed to be the same? Yeah, they're, they're still the same. Species. It's just like, hey. It's just our, bad costuming. That's all. Yeah. Do you think it's bad costume? How do you feel about the the Klingons in Discovery? They are very well adorned, I'll say. No, I, I meant bad costuming in the original series. No, in the original? they look great in the yeah, because in the original series they're just like dudes with beards. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe they have green makeup. That, I don't know. It's not. I know, but there's some stuff about the new stuff that I feel like is like there's a lot going on, and I feel like sometimes less is more. The lampshade that Worf hung on it, notwithstanding, I think any art director can say. Well, this is what they've always looked like to me, in my mind, or this is what I think they should have always been. So this is what they are now. And reconcile or don't, it's not my job to make you happy about the change. It's my job to make this show work. I kind of feel like you're an alien with more or less stuff on. I mean, as an alien, you're a human with more or less prostheses. And until you just give us something that couldn't be... A human, right? Which they do with puppets or CGI now, but back in the day, it was always a person with bits of foam glued to their face. And really, that's all the new Klingons are now. It's just more foam and more junk and teeth and other things. It just it doesn't do much for me. And it's really hard to connect to these characters because it's so much more work. I don't know, Erica, have you had to act through prostheses before? I mean, you've worn wigs and other things, but you've never... Have you had your face just behind stuff like that? Well, I did Avenue Q. So like your face isn't behind it, but like it focuses on the puppet that you're holding. That's the closest I would say that I got to people like not actually seeing my face or feeling like I'm part of that character. But no, I haven't really had to. I would imagine that it would be very helpful to play an alien and not look anything like yourself, though. To look in the mirror and see something completely different. I bet it would be very helpful, actually. 
it does seem pretty hard for those actors. It just really depends at the quality of how the performances do or do not cut through all that makeup. So it seems like a very careful, we should have a makeup person on at some point to talk about how you design these things so that it can have the full expression. Right. The eyebrows can still move. Yeah. The one thing I noticed, who's the character on Discovery? Doug Jones. Yes. And he's fantastic, right? And he's an actor who always seems to work with prostheses. Well, he's made a career out of being covered in stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very good at it. But one thing that always bothered me, I'm like, we have so much technology now in makeup, but then you see like the way his mouth is curled and he can't, it's clearly prosthesis. And I I feel like they could have done something that was a bit more, that still had that effect, but allowed him to express more with his face because he's a major character, you know, but that's nitpicky. I really like Saru. That's related that my only memory of the Star Trek cartoon was just seeing a few minutes of it here and there. And like, they would just pan over and like, who, wait, what is that? That's sitting next to Sulu there. <laughs> there's some <laughs> weird thing. And the little bit I saw, they never explained it. They, oh, there's just a weird thing there. It's a cartoon. They're just out on a planet and there's a vulture guy next to them with big insect like <laughs> Suddenly we can do all this stuff that we couldn't do. A preview of what would happen with the CGI later. I do like that Star Trek kind of focuses on a few different races and that we really get to kind of know them as a race a bit more and then see how they transform through the episodes and maybe through the years. And that's something I don't see as much of in Star Wars. It's like, I feel like I see cute things and we talked about this a little bit, I think in one of our Star Wars episodes, right? It was like, don't really know the attributes of that particular cute object that I'm seeing. And I would like to know more about it to know like what kind of race they came, like where they came from. So I think that's something that Star Trek has that's very special. We had mentioned like Deep Space Nine is kind of an interesting part in the series because, you know, for a TV series that was previously all about exploration, it's like, here's a time where we're just sitting down and we are just at this space station that is next to this planet that's trying to get away from this Cardassian control and get closer to the Federation. And like when you have those times where it's just being kind of locked in with those people, and like learning how to get along versus In previous series, you know, they would come across new planets all the time, new species and stuff like that. It was kind of an interesting choice. And I still really love Deep Space Nine, but it seems to be the one that of the that series when like kind of Rick Berman was a big part of the Star Trek stories are being told. That seemed to be kind of the outlier that most Trek fans didn't really kind of like the stagnant kind of we're just always in this one place. I'll say, Drew, that I feel like in the science fiction community, there is a lot of love for Deep Space Nine. And I think that heavy consumers of science fiction appreciate what Deep Space Nine did. And even though it isn't always the way they want to see Star Trek done, it is how they want to see stories be told. And these big story arcs that I don't even think Next Gen did in quite the same way. I love, especially at Deep Space Nine, the whole Dominion War and getting to find out about the founders. And that's something that kind of in retrospect, they're retconning hey, why does every species, why is every species bipedal and kind of look just humanoid? Well, like the founders seeded all of life throughout the universe. That's why, you know, <laughs> that's kind of a clever way to address, you know, just the limitations of the earlier medium where you had to have someone with prosthesis behind and delivering the text. Whereas, you know, now we're not as constrained by that. It's nice that they have these conventions, like you were talking about, Erica, where they're just establishing a few races and, and telling you more about them. But then when it breaks that, that also feels... Good. So I think in Enterprise, where they have the Zindi were the bad guys, but the Zindi are five different races and one of them is extinct. And so one of them is like big CGI whale dudes or something like that. (laughs) 
to add that bit of complexity, like, yeah, I guess so Saru's planet, they, they get into that, right? There's the Saru is the prey species and then they have the predator species, like even adding little bits like that. I think is, you know, Star Wars got some of that too. It's a, a way of retaining the simplification for most purposes, but then being able to cut through it when you want it for a particular story to, to get into more detail. Right. You have to have context for me to care what's going to happen later to a certain people. It still feels to me that humans are the default when the character doesn't need to be anything else. Like just in science fiction in the days of old, a character was always a man unless it needed to be a woman for the story to work. And here it's like, well, you know, this character just needs to fulfill a purpose. They don't have to be a specific way. So we'll just make it a human being. So it's still very centered around that as our default position. And You're right. Do you think that's a problem? I mean, obviously they must be doing it because then they don't have to pay for somebody to costume and put makeup on. You don't think it's because we're the target audience? You don't think that's... <laughs> no, I think the problem that <laughs> maybe <laughs> is of their own making, and that is they've given all these other races such specific traits that if they made someone a Vulcan, now we're already thinking things about them because they're a Vulcan. And, and I mentioned this on the Star Wars episode we did, that humans have complete diversity of traits, whereas every other species has a defining trait and Klingons are warlike and Cardassians are, you know, these strategists and and humans are everything. According to Vulcans though, they see humans in a very particular way, right? As pure emotional creatures that are just driven by their desires. Well, is that the problem with the problem with Romulans is because I don't know what their trait is. They're just Vulcans that are assholes. That's like, (laughs) they're just Romans somehow. (laughs) I don't know. This is something that kind of the Picard series develops a little bit more, right? Like we actually get to see the uh, episode about, it's called Absolute Candor. We actually get to see this different faction of, you know, like we knew about the Tal Shiar all the way back from TNG, right? The kind of secret service of the Romulans. But then we come to find out the Soji. They're kind of this mostly group of female Romulan warriors who are very much opposed to kind of the Tal Shiar's mission. And like the... Romulan society, usually like the kind of monolithic approach of it is like, they are kind of deceitful, always hiding their true intentions and like very quick to anger. And then we meet these Kuat Malat Romulans who are at the exact opposite. They have this concept of absolute candor. They're always frank with people, even if it's hurtful, it's not meant with malice, but they just kind of believe in this absolute candor. And they only take up their sword to defend someone who is going after a lost cause, right? So that's something that like, I, I would agree with you is like, previously, the species are kind of presented as like these monoliths, and they can kind of be boring. But I feel like something about the new Star Trek, they're trying to kind of give some of that variance within a species and, and to having different cultures within one. You two are killing it because I agree with that. And I also really agree with you, Erica, <laughs> I hadn't thought of what a human centric view that was of mine that I think we have this diversity of. And of course, I would think that. <laughs> All right, I, I, yeah, let's let's just start the podcast <laughs> over without me. I am not qualified. No, please, please, please. If a secret society uh, raises you from a child, somehow you can still have a New Zealand accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was with that? Why is the ninja? You got to talk like something. New Zealand. <laughs> Why is ours the default non-accent? Yeah, and Picard is from France, but clearly British, you know, like it's just... The most British Frenchman, as (laughs) Honest Trailers calls him. 
all the races have to have racial diversity within them, right? Is that the rule now? Certainly, there are black Vulcans and white Vulcans and Asian Vulcans. And uh, so we've seen all those. And I think we've seen those in the Romulans. The Klingons, I think. I think sure. she did too. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, there are black and white actors playing Klingons. But whether they count <laughs> when you have that much makeup on, whether they count as one or the other, I don't even know. Somehow the Ferengi are still all Jewish, and I don't like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> that feels very pointed, right? I'm going to have to have words with somebody, yeah. <laughs> well, it's something like with the three founding races of the Federation, you know, you have Vulcans, humans, and Andorians, right? And humans are kind of meant as like that mix of the two. Like the Andorians are all emotion and love to fight and quick to anger, and the Vulcans are all logic and very methodical. And the humans are kind of just that mix between the two, right? Between the two poles. That's something that I've always really found fascinating about Trek. Like I'm a big fan of pluralism and kind of this idea that you can tell the good guys because they have a lot of different people sitting at the table. Whereas the bad guys usually tend to be like the Klingon or like the Empire in Star Wars. You know, they all kind of look and think the same. Is that the distinction, whether you're Trekkie or not, is whether you know which one an Andorian is? I did not know before this prep they're the guys that just have antennae on and they're yeah, like light they're, blue. They're blue. Yeah. With the white hair. There's no way that they would create a, a race that looks that silly. Now it's purely a holdover <laughs> from the sixties track that there's anything that looks like that, but they are in the movies. They do bring them along. So they've been here the whole time. We're going to see what they really look like one day. Someone's going to just remake them <laughs> Klingon style. You get to see so many Andorians in the Enterprise series, too. That's something that I really loved was like getting to where they actually go to the planet and you meet the subspecies of Andorians that actually have like psychic abilities. Um, and they're kind of treated like social pariahs because of that. So are there Andorians of African descent as well? Have they spread the because they're all in white face? Then you, it just it doesn't matter. It's just, uh, I don't know. Aren't they in blue face? Am I, t- am I thinking of the right thing? Aren't they blue? blue face? It's very light blue. Yeah, they're light blue. We talked a little about sort of what makes something a Trek story as opposed to another random sci-fi story is going to differ depending on what you consider central Trek to be. And hopefully this is open enough. But in preparation for this, I listened to an interview with Rod Roddenberry. And he was saying, at least there has to be something that raises like a philosophical question. Like if it's pure entertainment, if it's pure spectacle, then it would really not be Star Trek. But so far, even the recent films, I was surprised. I just watched Star Trek Beyond today, the most recent film. And this is kind of spoiling it, but I don't care. When you get to the end, like it's actually a, it's not a different race. It's not a different type of creature that is like, ah, the Federation is bad because they promoted peace. We need struggle to survive. Like it's actually a human and it's a very Kirk like military figure who attained this. And you can actually see it as a variation of the kind of thing that Kirk says over and over and over again in the original Star Trek, because they're always being like somebody's captured them and says, Hey, I'll give you a peaceful life on my planet. And they say, no, 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 we have to be able to grow and change in order to really be alive. We have to have struggle. And so there's some self critique in that sort of going forward. Wait, how do you think this is different from something else that's not Star Trek? I guess if you're not feeling friendly about Star Wars, you could ask, like, is there really anything that makes you think other than, like, are you going to be good or not? Like, there's no, what is it to be human? Those kind of questions that seem, I don't know if in every Star Trek episode, but at least are perennial things that are just brought up again and again. 
to the point of irritation when it's like data struggles with being human or Spock's use of the word logical and that kind of stuff. It seems repetitive. It's almost so obsessed with those themes. Like it's always trying to teach us a lesson. I guess that's the question. What I mean, are these ongoing meditations on it? Because some of the lessons that they try to establish, especially in original Star Trek, are just so self-contained and really simple. <laughs> like, you should have a society that governs itself and has freedom and not have a computer run everything for you. Okay, do we need to learn 57 different versions of that lesson? Like, how many lessons are there about such fundamental things? Sure. I think that's something that appears in a lot of episodes, but not universally. I don't think it's a sine qua non for Star Trek. But you can have episodes that are just ripping yarns. And sometimes it's just about we got fooled in the beginning and we got him back at the end. And sometimes it's just diehard on the Enterprise and that's all it is. And that's okay. It doesn't need to be moral storytelling all the time. It's good that they have a compass and sometimes the compass points in different directions. And we're led to think that the prime directive is a this good thing sometimes. And sometimes it is a thorny thing. And, and that's okay, too. I don't think there is a consistency throughout even one series, let alone all the series. But if you look broadly, I think people would say that's part of the general appeal of Star Trek is it does try to be a thinking person's science fiction show. Maybe not every episode, but by and large it is. And there are some other shows out there that aren't, and that's not what they're there to do, and that's okay too. For me, the essential kernel of, of Star Trek is less about kind of a philosophical leaning and more so just kind of about a maybe an overly hopeful view of the future, right? This idea, like, and it's a big theme in Picard, right? I don't know how spoilery you want to be about the series, All presumably. The way. Okay. So Picard's big push to get the androids, not just to take the easy way out and kind of get this other android species that has managed to escape our universe to come and save them. And in so doing, destroy all of the organic life in the universe. He's trying to get them to take this leap of faith that the past won't always be doomed to repeat itself, right? That we can transcend this kind of nature and what is easy and become something better, right? And that's not just through technology, but just through interactions and cooperation with other species and other worlds. That's something that to me is very essential Trek, right? Is not the fear of the unknown, but the excitement in the face of it. It's really beautiful. Well, I think part of that is just is also that, again, everybody's a hero of their own story for the most part, not consistently, but that maybe the Klingons start out as just being bastards. But then years and years of Trek later, you start actually exploring, like, how could you have a coherent Klingon ethics? And like, what are the troubles that Worf runs into in dealing with the rest of the Klingons or within the Ferengis? You could go into these rules of acquisition that they do have, even though they're really just kind of bad compared to what we would assume to be the right thing, right? They're the miserly Scrooges. There's still room for a sort of ethical debate within that. And so you could be, you know, that we all have imperfect ethical norms. And so how do we sort of deal with each other given that and deal with the traditions that drag behind us, you might say. And I like that in Picard, we do see him struggling with that, you know, him struggling with his past decisions. And even though he's considered by most to be one of the greatest captains, he clearly is struggling himself with the way he has handled things or moved away from things by, by leaving the Federation and wants to make up for that in some way. 
I think that's a, a luxury that these longitudinal stories have given us, right? You wouldn't get that just from watching a couple seasons of a show, but both in the original Star Trek with Kirk getting old and now with Picard getting old, we get to see that they have these long lives that are really, they're flawed and they have regrets and they have things they would do differently or at least feel bad about whatever it is. And that's great. And we never, who would have expected with this dopey space Western in the 1960s that in the year 2020, we're still hashing these things out. It's, it's pretty incredible. That's amazing. And we keep being told similar stories because we need to keep thinking about them and reframing them with new people and new situations because maybe we won't always have the same answer that we did in 1950, whatever. Should I say that better? You looked really embarrassed at me when I just said because that. Because it no. was 1966 was the first. <laughs> and the pilot, one of the first things in the pilot is like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with a woman on the bridge. <laughs> that's right in there. And that's something that's always so fascinating to about just sci-fi in general, right? Like not only do you get to see what people of a certain time think the future will be like, but you also get to see the things that they think from their own time are timeless, right? So like, <laughs> that's a great example in 1960s, oh, a woman on the bridge or like shoulder pads and TNG, right? Where it's just like, oh, this will never go out of style. People will always want to have these thick shoulder pads. For and some short reason. skirts. You know, like, that's something that I've always found really fascinating about sci-fi as a genre. It's just, it says so much about what we think in our own time is timeless. We didn't really say right out how much we actually liked Picard. Hmm. <laughs> As compared to the other kinds of shows, Brian, you maybe you can start because you were kind of hinting at this, how you thought it was a little slow. Well, I didn't love the storytelling. It was a really a slow play in the beginning and it all locked together nicely, kind of like a book. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that a, a novelist gave us this kind of story. I also think that the evolved AI has just been sort of done to death. This you know, we've seen it in Battlestar Galactica and we saw it in Dune with the butler and Jihad and we saw it in Terminator and we saw it in The Matrix. And it's like, I didn't really need to see it in Star Trek, but it was fine. I mean, it didn't love the show, but it was really nice to see the gang get back together. And I did like many of the members of the new gang as well. So I would welcome more stories with this cast of characters. I kind of wish they would stop at the first season of Picard. Maybe continue with some of the same people. I feel like the last episode for me was very satisfying. To be able to see Picard's end, to see him come back and question the very thing about himself that he always assured Data was true about himself, about still being who he remembers himself to be, even though now he's in a like this golem. But there were definitely some storytelling moments I got frustrated with, but I liked the cast a lot. And I would like to see them go on new adventures. And not to say I don't want to see Patrick Stewart anymore. I just feel like it was such a lovely send-off. I worry what they'll do next time. Drew, how do you you think this stacked up? I would say I concur with a lot of the points. I think overall the season was good to find. There were some episodes that I really loved. And I'm admittedly just a big Trek fan. So I always want more Star Trek in the world. I kind of wish they would have let Picard actually die because I thought it was such a fitting into that character to sacrifice himself so heroically. So I was a little bummed for them in that same episode to just kind of take it back. And it's like, now he's back, but he's in a new body. Hooray. But that said, new season comes out. I'm going to watch every minute of it. And I'm probably going to love it because I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you, Mark? It's Michael Shabon, right? Who wrote? Yeah. Yes. 
I had read a couple of his books and I hope he becomes more of a household name. I'm so glad that they gave this to a real writer. And I didn't feel like it was such a slow burn, Brian. I felt like, you know, each episode they're introducing a new thing. <laughs> you know, now we're going to the planet of a pissed off Romulans and getting the ninja. Like that's all that happens that time, but that's fine. Now we're going to have the seven of nine episode. Like I felt there was enough for me to feast on in each of these things. And it was a little confusing, as you pointed out earlier, Erica, which parts are referring to canon and which parts are referring to just something that's happened off screen. Yeah. But I do think it makes it richer. And that's just always a problem for the world building mind is that as soon as you like, oh, they have a history that they haven't shown me. Maybe we need another prequel to show that. Like, <laughs> no, you really don't. Trust us. This is what happens. That's all you need to know. There'll probably be spinoff novels or something that are about... The earlier adventures of Picard, it wasn't just that he was watching Law and Order on the holodeck and <laughs> <laughs> dreamed up Rafi. <laughs> <laughs> that was where I saw her before, where he was doing a Law and Order reenactment episode, which is the kind of silly crap they did in <laughs> Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. The reason Star Trek has always been inferior to Star Wars to me is because it wasn't so much an event, because it was just something that was on TV. It was just there. And it just didn't feel as special. And I think hmm. these last couple series, like when you have like, I like the both Discovery series, especially the second one, where it's just these more or less self-contained stories that aren't afraid to really, you know, it's not a monster of a week thing. They're really not afraid to have some progression and change things up. So if this is Discovery and Picard are the model of those are better than the movies as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I guess there is the issue of do they have to be 10 hours? Maybe you could have a four hour one instead of a movie event. So there are certain things about the economics of it that I think we have yet to reach an ideal point of balance or something between. But yeah, whatever's going to make the most special, fun, philosophically rich stories is great. And I thought there was in Picard enough switching you know you think you know who the bad guys are but then it's the other side of the bad guys oh no it's the first the guys that's the bad guys again and, and like i love all that kind of stuff because that just goes right with the idea that nobody's totally evil and everybody has their reasons and you know that's what mature storytelling should be about that you're never going to get that out of star wars that really the emperor has his point of view and is not totally evil <laughs> like there's no room in that story for that <laughs> well not that we haven't Compare this to Star Wars enough, but really, I think the big difference growing up for me, Mark, is we just didn't have that much Star Wars. For years, there were two hours of it. And then for years, there were four hours of it. And then for a long time, there were only six. And then, of course, we had so much Star Trek, but it was this self-contained little thing. Of course, it was precious. That's It was just this little thing that we had. One last thought on Picard. If after watching Game of Thrones, I don't want to see incest unless those siblings are banging all right <laughs> oh i had a problem every time they came on screen i was like oh come on what's happening I, I don't know if there are any 30 rock watchers but every time they came on yeah. my wife and i would say we're gonna have a talking like this contest <laughs> <laughs> brother and sister were talking oh the wrong oh. yeah if you want to start picking on things there's definitely room like just him having a fatal brain disease throughout the whole thing like that's fine but having it like kick in at the dramatic moment that like i know i've been dying all along but i'm really dying right now at the most important time when i i really shouldn't die like no that's contrived bullshit but there are lots of other yeah. things i liked about it like the if you're gonna have a hologram like the hologram 
doctor on Voyager, why not have five holograms on a ship? Because you're too lazy to have a crew. Like, that was a brilliant move there. Each with an outlandish accent. Maybe we should do an after talk on the things yes. that irritate us and then go back and just loop this in. I yes. like that. So let's wrap this up. We're going to have a little more during the after talk if you want to hear wrap more about Star Trek. But thank you. Thank you, listeners. And thanks for joining us, Drew. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, husband. Thanks, listeners. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.